evening, one and all. I am Joseph Cotto. Joining me tonight is Paul Goffrey, the former co-host of Cotto Goffrey and still the editor-in-chief of Chronicles Magazine. Paul, how's it going? Fine, fine. Uh, I'm delighted you've recovered so fully from your uh, gangrenous gallbladder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the recovery is still in process. That was... uh, Yes, uh, but you've done well so far. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, I, I think it's safe to say that I have. It's, uh, but it was, uh, it's been an cr- absolutely crazy week, and it's why I obviously couldn't do a uh, uh, an episode mm-hmm. over the last. I actually tried, but uh, every time I tried, something got in the way. Uh, but anyway, and obviously my voice is percent yet, but that time. But anyway, yeah, I was just released from the hospital yesterday, and here I am doing the show today with uh, the great Paul Gottfried. So I think I've bounced back well enough already. <laughs> my, my my presence has had a healing effect on you. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, it, it is the knowledge that emanates from your massive cranium that somehow manages <laughs> to improve my health. It's it's uncanny. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, talking, what we're going to be talking about today is something rather uh, serious, uh, and it is, it's an article published in the New York Post on the 20th of this month, uh, and it's titled, Pushing Woke Standards Over Meritocracy is Going to Get Us Killed. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it's, it is so true, because obviously I've been totally in the care of others uh, for the last several days, and uh, if... I had to go through some sort of woke hellscape instead of just dealing with competent people, which thank heavens I did. The people I dealt with are absolutely outstanding. The doctor, the staff in the hospital, it was really great. But, well, I mean, no stay in the hospital is great, but they did a great job. But if wokeness had been there, uh, who the hell knows what would have happened. Uh, but uh, it, it was done as professionally as one can imagine. Uh, anyway, though, uh, getting into the article, uh, a recent epidemic of airline near misses deserves both attention and reflection. In mid-December, a San Francisco-bound United Airlines Boeing 777-200 airliner, just a little over a minute after t- taking on Hawaii, suddenly dived. It lost more than half its altitude and came within 800 feet of crashing into the Pacific Ocean before pulling up. About a month later, American Airlines and American Airlines jet crossed the runway at John F. Kennedy International Airport just as a Delta Airlines plane was accelerating for takeoff. The two aircraft nearly collided. Then in February, a FedEx cargo jet at the Austin, Texas airport is crashing into a Southwest airliner, Airlines airliner by a mere 100 feet the same month. An American Airlines Airbus A321 was being towed out of the gate at Los Angeles International Airport and smashed into a bus carrying passengers between terminals, injuring five. Now, Paul, none of this stuff is in isolation, as, as Hanson goes on to mention, so we'll get to it. But uh, what's your opinion on the on the state of things uh, as they are? This is just looking at aviation, but I think the same critique of the uh, aviation industry could also be made of other industries. Uh, and it, it, generally speaking, this critique revolves around the idea that there is a sort of an epidemic of competence that has a severely negative consequences. Yeah, no, I, I think obviously this is a serious problem, which is ideological in its origin. Uh, the question is, you know, how to make it go away. And I don't have any answers. Um, you know, the, uh, 
this is something that we've been discussing for, I suppose, a long time. I've been discussing it for at least the last 50 years. Um, and this is, you know, how you can sort of put the genie back in the bottle um, after we uh, agree, or some people agree, that uh, there's been terrible racial, uh, gender, other forms of injustice that have been committed in the Western world, particularly in the United States. Um, obviously, the rest of the world gets off, you know, they're okay, Africans are okay, or this, Asians, but we in the West <clears throat> have not treated all people equally. And we have to assume that if we were treating everybody equally, we'd have equal outcomes because there is no um, uh, intrinsic difference in intelligence among people. Uh, it's a question of how you program them, um, what kind of family uh, is available, you know, to give them enrichment and so forth. And presumably all human beings would turn out the same way if they had the same advantages or disadvantages, right? So um, uh, we, if, we, if, we, if we look around and say, you know, we need some, air, some, air, some, um, uh, some airplane controllers or airport controllers, um, and there's no reason to confine ourselves to groups that we've used in the past or to be um, uh, overly uh, stringent in the requirements that we're going to set up. But we have, to, we have to fill these quotas of people who have been denied opportunities in the past. And you not only do this with, you know, with airline controllers and pilots and so forth, but you also have to do this with medical schools. And medical schools are beginning to do this, that, you know, they, they want them to be, uh, to look more the way the United States does, by which they mean uh, North Philadelphia, right, or Harlem, uh, that this is what America looks like, or, uh, uh, you know, the, the people lying in the streets in San Francisco, but whatever their notion of America is, they're going to start imposing this on medical schools. Now, the problem, of course, is that human beings do not have equal intelligence, that there are cognitive differences, there are all kinds of things which go against egalitarian doctrines. And, uh, one of the things I've discovered doing some research um, on this problem, because I'm having to discuss this with Alex Riley and some other podcasts, is that as early as May of 1965, President Johnson, in addressing Howard, uh, commencement at Howard University, said that what he meant by equality uh, is not just equality of opportunity, but equality of, uh, or, or equality as a theory, but equality as a fact and a result, okay? So uh, the assumption is the government can create a situation in which all people will either perform equally or it will be assumed they performed equally, even if they don't, uh, because what lies behind this is the belief that if prejudice in, it did not exist, um, everyone would be just as good as, as everybody else. I was talking about this conversation I once had with a colleague and I was sort of joking and I said, you know, why is it that Jews produced physicists and you have black athletes? I said, I said, I see very few, there were probably some Jews boxing in the 1920s or something. I don't see too many now, uh, but you do see blacks as well. You know, there were like more openings in certain positions for Jews at that time than there were for blacks, to be physicists. Well, you know, I mean, I, you don't want to be unkind about this. 
But then, you know, there, there are certain groups that spend all their time studying and other groups that don't. Um, and, you know, there may, be, there may be natural reasons for this, and it may be the result of breeding over, over thousands and ten, uh, thousands of years that we're seeing this. But there was no reason to assume that all of this uh, social engineering would stop, right, when we have, uh, uh, you know, all people, uh, what is it, talent open to, or uh, careers open to talent, which is, you know, the famous statement of Napoleon Bonaparte, carrières ouvertes au talent, uh, careers open to talent. Once we, once we do this, then everything will be okay, right? At least it was for Napoleon. It's not, it's not going to work now. And that's why we're getting more and more incompetence in areas that are vital, you know, to the survival of people and to, and to the maintenance of safety standards. And there is more, more stuff going on in the uh, aviation field. I'm not going, going to read everything Hansen wrote about it, but he did mention that uh, the foods that he referred to, uh, they're part of a, a and baby uh, and what's happening uh within the aviation industry uh, I, I around christmas there was a an issue with southwest and the airline uh canceled over 70 percent of flights and it could not for whatever reason coordinate things so that uh, people could get, get get working it was really crazy so they just had to basically shut down then the uh, federal aviation administration faa uh, earlier this year, in the first month of the year, because of a uh, an issue with its computer safety system, uh, mm -hmm. it, it it stopped all departing flights uh, from America, and this happened for about 120 minutes. And uh, many many more flights wound up being canceled, and some for over a day. Uh, so it's it's really uh, crazy that this sort of thing is taking place, considering that now we have more and better technology than used to be the case we get there are more and more ridiculous uh instances which you'd expect to see in a in a far less uh mm -hmm. tech savvy age uh and then uh, uh, uh you know uh, of course there is a uh, some might say that the department of transportation uh could do something about this obviously it's headed by pete uh gag or boot edge or however one wishes to pronounce it, but uh, <laughs> uh, it doesn't seem like they're really doing much to remedy the situation or taking ownership of it. Uh, the same thing for the FAA. Uh, and uh, this is putting people's, uh, it's throwing people's lives out of whack in terms of scheduling. But also when you look at the near uh, physical disasters, it's putting people's lives at risk. Uh, and uh, there, there could be something uh, along lines of a meltdown within uh, the commercial air industry where nothing moves uh, for several days. Uh, and uh, uh, this is just about not summarizing Hampson. Uh, there could be something where people uh, get on flights, but for whatever reason, the flight plans are not properly plotted and planes crash into each other. The fact of the matter is, is that uh, the situation is very bad. And uh, Hansen did say that uh, what is happening now with the aviation industry uh, can, quoting here, presage catastrophes to come. Uh, so it's really, uh, it's really, uh, it's scary when you think about how reliant people are on uh, 
air travel uh, and not not just for themselves, but for goods uh, that they use uh, for this sort of thing to be taking place. It's very bad indeed. Then Hansen goes into the U.S. military, and Paul and I mm-hmm. both know that the U.S. military has been the font of many problems uh, in recent years. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> well, uh, Hansen quotes uh, Mark Milley, who's the chairman of the Joint mm-hmm. Chiefs of Staff. Uh, he said on the 21st of July, 2021, that, quote, the Afghan security forces have the capacity and capabilities needed to def- to fight and defend their country. And uh, then, that's obviously the end of the quote, mm-hmm. but then uh, less than a month later, the Afghan uh, military completely imploded, as did the Afghan government. And obviously, mm-hmm. now the Taliban controls what was an American-occupied zone, essentially, uh, and the U.S. was pushed in a way that is very reminiscent of what left Saigon, although I think its flight from Kabul was even much more hasty, was much hastier uh, than its flight from uh, Saigon. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's really uh, it's really something else. And uh, this is just getting into my uh, memory of, of what happened. Uh, Biden even said there's not going to be something like the image of the helicopter leaving Saigon, something, uh, you know, shameful like that. And of course, that exact image replicated in Kabul, trying to airlift people out of the airport as the Taliban was taking over. And then the Taliban got all this American military equipment, billions and billions of dollars worth. And they actually did mock poses of American military uh, triumphs, except they were using the the flag, their, the flag of the Taliban rather than the flag of the U.S. So, you know, that just goes to show how, uh, uh, the, how swift and severe the collapse of the American empire in Afghanistan was. Uh, Hansen also mentions that uh, right before the Russo-Ukrainian war began, uh, the Pentagon uh, informed Congress that, uh, well, Hansen calls it Kiev, I still call it Kiev, uh, that it might fall within uh, three days of a Russian uh, of a Russian invasion, and obviously that did not happen. Uh, so it's really interesting to, to, to see what's happening here, especially in light of something else Hansen brings up, which is the uh, Ch- Chinese air balloons that are uh, floating all over the country, and one actually made it across the country until uh, it was uh, terminated uh, off the coast of South Carolina. So it's it's something else. And then the Pentagon, as, as Hansen says, uh, offered no real clear uh, or comprehensive mm-hmm. explanation for why these balloons were allowed to do what they were doing. Uh, Paul, anything to say before we move on? Obviously, there's a lot to go over there. You know, I agree with everything you said, everything that Hansen wrote. I just think these problems are very hard to fix. Um, I, I have a, a neighbor who's a professor of sociology, and um, uh, I just heard Pete Buttigieg explain, you know, while these people are being poisoned with gas in East Palestine, Ohio, that our major problem is we're not hiring enough, I don't know, homosexuals or blacks or something, you know, this, and it doesn't look like America as he would like to see it. Um, and, you know, I, at, the, at that point, I thought that Buttigieg was not only incompetent, but, but lunatic. And I mentioned this, you know, I, 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 just, I just mentioned to my friend, professor of sociology, that uh, this was um, very disturbing. And he said, how can you say that? Um, that man knows his, his nuts and bolts. Um, he is a brilliant uh, secretary of transportation. And uh, he says... He's doing a good job, and the cabinet is a very good cabinet that um, President Biden has put together. And I was listening to this. It sort of reminded me of the fact that over half the voters in the state elected 
a, a brain dead radical as our as our senator or near dead brain dead. Right? Uh, there are a lot of people out there who think that what's going on is wonderful. We're just not doing enough of it. And this is really the scary thing because you know you and Victor Hansen, I can agree that Millie uh, is 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 a horrible ch- uh, 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 chief of the um, uh, the the armed serve the staff, the military staff, and that uh, he's there basically because he you know he licks the boots of the woke left and. Um, uh, the the Secretary of Defense and President Biden or the people who uh, manipulate Biden, he shouldn't be in that position at all. Uh, e- even if he, uh, you know, offers um, uh, critical race theory, you know, in, in training soldiers, and th- this seems to be one of his, his major accomplishments. Um, and uh, Buttigieg and most of these other people who are in the cabinet are there basically to fill woke roles. It's not because they're competent. They're there to fill woke roles. But lots of Americans like this stuff. I mean, I've been, you know, looking back at the November election and by any reasonable standards, the Democrats should have been absolutely trounced and they won elections and they gained ground with an absolutely horrible economic record, military, everything, because there are lots of woke people out there. Uh, there are lots of unmarried women. There are lots of racial minorities. There are lots of government workers, and they vote for the Democratic Party, and they think that all the things we're complaining about shows we're fascist, and you know, there are, everything that is happening is is progress. We're just not moving in the right direction fast enough. Do you think that these people have their quality of life impacted, which they obviously will? They might change their mind, or do you think they really don't care about it that much? Their ideological position is that strong. I don't know. I mean, that's a good question, and um, I, I think it's half and half. You know, this is this is a, the great debate I had with Sam Francis for many years. That he said that you know people who run things just pretend to accept an idiot. The ideology is a way of manipulating people, to which my response is that wokeness is so insane. I mean, communism, Nazi, I see any of these things. Wokeness is insane. I mean, it's self-destructive. You are going to wipe your, you know, you're you're white people, you hate white people, you're a male, you want to obliterate males, Um, you want to get rid of pronouns, and women can't say they're women. Everything is insane. Um, But there are so many people who go along with this that I have to believe that at some level, you know, they 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 accept these these premises. Now there are some people obviously who are going to back out when it affects their families, when their kids don't get into a decent college, and instead it's you know an inner city black who gets low scores on uh, the SATs, even if the if the SATs are allowed, which they probably won't be in the future. Um, you know, there there are some people who I know a lot. I know a lot of these people. You know, they're they're just hypocrites. They play games. They're they're social posil. I mean, there are a lot of these people around. But then there are a lot of people who believe this junk. You know, and this is the scary thing. If I thought they were all social posil, we'd be okay, because at some point they're going to get hurt. But if they if they really buy into this nonsense, the situation can become a lot more dangerous. And getting back to what Hans was saying about the military, I'm summarizing here. He mentioned that the, uh, the Pentagon uh, does not admit that there are uh, recruitment uh, recruiting problems on the level which uh, some, particularly on the right, uh, would claim. But it does say uh, the military leadership does say that uh, 
quite a few of its branches are somewhere between a third and a quarter short of their uh, recruitment goals. Uh, so that is uh, interesting because uh, the military has made the very uh, conscious decision to plummet uh, requirements for people to enlist. And it has done so very uh, aggressively, obviously very openly, uh, and yet it still has this uh, third to a quarter shortage uh, by its own admission. Whether or not they're they're fooling around with numbers to make the situation look better than it is, who knows? That would not surprise me in the slightest. But uh, that, that that is the situation there. And uh, the military does, Hanson, uh, he mentions that the military... How do, how do I put this exactly? That's a good point. The, the, the military leadership uh, does not uh, believe, or at least does not claim to believe, that uh, wokeness uh, on a cultural level has uh, prevented, ha has led people mm. astray from joining, basically. Uh, and now, Panson also mentions that surveys suggest that the opposite is true. Uh, you know, no surprise there. Uh, so it's it's really something. Then Hanson goes into uh, the shortfall regarding uh, weapons arsenals, American weapons arsenals, obviously. Uh, he talks about the cuts in the defense budget, which I don't mind. Poor recruitment, poor procurement planning. I really don't mind that because I think joining the military today is crazy. So I'm glad to see them not enlisting many people. Incompetent administration. Uh, I, I do mind that. Uh, I, I would like the military to at least be competent. I, then Hanson talks about the huge uh, huge quantities of arms which have been sent to the ukraine or as he calls it ukraine mm -hmm. uh <laughs> and he also mentions that uh there are uh it's a, it's a very very low level of inventory regarding anti-tank and anti-aircraft missiles mm -hmm. Uh, artillery shells, rockets, missiles, and mines. This shortage exists right now, and the military, he says, is uh, is uh, paying the price for it. So this is all really uh, important stuff, and it's it's uh, it's really uh, how do I put this? Uh, it's very in a way, especially when it comes to competence and when it comes to uh, a deficit of appropriate defensive uh, weapons. But it's not surprising. Look at the overall. Uh, context of the age, which is that uh, a, a highly artificial engineered uh, set of circumstances, uh, which could be called wokeness, are coming to overpower uh, what would be referred to as a meritocracy. And it did create a scenario where competence and uh, generally speaking, the, the whole idea of, of doing a job well, it's not as important as, as uh, virtue signaling, basically. So that's really frightening stuff because it means that, you know, it's not just about a political disagreement one might have with those who are in power. It's that uh, things are going to go wrong and there will be tangible consequences of this. It's not just like something theoretical. Uh, and it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's really, uh, it is frightening. Uh, Paul, anything to say before I uh, wrap up Hanson's article? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, uh, the lockdowns, are an interesting example, um, and so is the war in Ukraine. They're two interesting examples of how people can be easily manipulated um, in, in just about every Western country. Uh, the lockdowns were generally a, uh, a disaster. They, they did very little to control the spread of an illness that only killed about one-tenth of one percent of the population. I had COVID for a few days. I coughed. I'm fine. And that was after I had all these uh, these vaccinations. Um, 
but uh, p- people lost jobs. There was even suicides, all kinds of things attributed to this. People were locked in their houses in some countries. And the way they reacted was by voting for the governments that did these things to them. It's not that they rejected those governments. In just about every ca- case, left of center governments, which engage in these vile, these vile acts uh, and also practice discrimination against white Christians, these governments did extremely well in, the, in, in elections throughout the, in Germany. In Germany, the, the crazy left, sw- you know, woke left swept to victory. So just nothing, nothing uh, on, in the political spectrum. Canada, United States. So it, it, it shows that the woke indoctrination um, and the belief in the administrative state as a god um, has, has very much remained. The war in Ukraine also bothers me. And unlike Joseph and others, I've been generally very sympathetic to the Ukrainian side, and I've not been consistently against giving them aid. The problem is this is not something we're allowed to discuss. Um, uh, on the left or, on, or, or in the conservative establishment, um, my colleagues and I at Chronicles disagree. They're mostly pro-Russian. I'm pro-Ukrainian. Uh, but there is a discussion. Nobody kicks anybody out or tries to for, for disagreeing on this. But uh, uh, yesterday I read this absolutely um, frightening piece by a lady I generally like, Kimberly Strasser, or Strassel. Is that her name? Strassel. Uh, mm-hmm. The German yep. name, Strassel. Uh, and um, in which she's warning uh, DeSantis to support the war in, in Ukraine vigorously because he can be hurt unless he does this. Now, she's not just speaking for herself. She wrote this in the Wall Street Journal. I hear the same thing on Fox News, except for Tucker Carlson, and in the New York Post, and in every other organ of communication owned by the Murdoch family, which controls discourse in conservative the conservative establishment. They own it. And I think we have to say this. And they are very, very pro-war, and they love this war. You know, uh, they have tolerated Tucker Carlson because he has very good ratings and uh, has a very large fan base. And he, uh, his position is is actually different from mine. He's, he seems to be very pro-Russian. Um, but I, I think there should be open debate, particularly since we're spending all this money sending arms to Ukraine, and it is not really in our national interest, as far as I can tell, to be doing this. Um, but so far, this has not hurt Joe Biden or his party. Uh, they stiff these uh, these poor Republican voters in East Palestine, Ohio, but he runs to Kiev, you know, and has these these fake sirens going in the background and so forth. Um, this is another example in which open discussion uh, does not exist. And I'm not saying this, as I indicated before, as an enemy of the Ukrainians. You know, I think they do have a just cause. Um, I am disgusted, however, with the way discussion has been closed down. Uh, and there, seem, there seems to be consensus that extends from Republican neoconservatives, and most of them are neoconservatives on foreign policy, all the way over to the left, which sees Ukraine as a bastion for LGBT against the evil uh, reactionary Putin. Um, and uh, that we simply are not allowed to discuss. It's, it's, like, it's like the lockdowns. We cannot discuss this or the COVID vaccine. It's one and one, and the people generally go along with this stuff. I mean, un- unless I see them voting out uh, these villains, um, I will not believe that they're opposed to this. If I see any, I, and I, I have no reason to think that the presidential election will look very different 
um, from the election that took place in November. Uh, and I, I say this with deep regret because I absolutely loathe the Democrats. I think they're evil and totalitarian and they control the media and they control education and they control just about everything in this country. But, they, but that's why, why they can win. And they also control elections. They even rig them on, on some occasions. So I, I really don't see the situation uh, getting any better. And I think we have like almost half the American people are on their side. Uh, um, maybe not half the people, but 40, 45 percent or something like that, which makes it very hard uh, to turn the situation around that, I, that Victor Davis Hanson, uh, I think, shows uh, quite graphically in his article. And to wrap up that article, he fears that if woke standards continue to triumph over meritocracy, oh, he fears not only that this will that this will get people killed, uh, but he fears that, uh, mm -hmm. and I'll quote here, uh, the United States will then resemble the mazma, uh, which, sorry, the mazma we see in most of the world abroad, where ideology suppresses free inquiry, political correctness warps research and tribalism. Trump's meritocracy. By the way, I think I said miasma. I meant miasma. I don't know why on earth I pronounced it that way. It's just this thing I'm dealing with with the uh, uh, post-surgical procedure, I suppose. Uh, it's still like a little bit of a fog, so to speak. But anyway, move, uh, moving on, now that I've I, I, I quoted him. Uh, well, let me ask you a question. Yeah, do, do you think that tribalism is one of the consequences of the, uh, the woke domination of the West? Oh, I think tribalism is with humankind, regardless of, of wokeism or not. I, I think that mm -hmm. when it comes to what we're dealing with today, there are different forms of tribalism. When I was a boy up till I was a, a very young man, multiculturalism meant people focusing on their heritage and living mm -hmm. in parallel societies. Now, mm -hmm. multi people are making their own culture out of online affinity groups, sexual minority groups, uh, mm -hmm. gender-based things, uh, video game communities. Uh, it, it goes on and on and on. Uh, so I think that tribalism is certainly a consequence of wokeism because it has a whole hierarchy of, 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 uh, of victimhood, which obviously pertains to tribal identity. But also, I think that tribalism is going to be with us one way or the other. It's just trying to have a healthy form of it that also uh, offers respect for the individual. I am a big fan of individualism, uh, which uh, Paul is not as individualistic as I am. But uh, I, I, even a guy such as myself, I miss the tribals, which will always be with us. It's just a question of which kind. And I think that under wokeness, we have a particularly pernicious kind of tribalism. Yeah, it's, it's a kind of tribalism in which real tribes are never represented. I mean, how many Scottish, are Scottish Presbyterians allowed to mm -hmm. show their, what about Southern uh, Baptist or something, or White Baptist? Now, you can go through all kinds of groups, you know, and uh, uh, traditional, to, what about Swedish Lutherans living in the Midwest? Do they still have any kind of identity? They probably would, would not be as welcome by our media or our educational system as, let's say, black lesbians, mm -hmm. right? Or, uh, uh, I don't know. Hispanic transgendered or something like that. Uh, but by, by tribalism, we do not mean traditional tribalism. And I think that's a lot of these sort of conservative establishment types say tribalism. But what we're really saying is that the old tribes have been banned. We have new Basically. tribes, right, exactly. uh, who are created by wokeness. 100 mm -hmm. percent. And that's where the victimhood hierarchy.
Sparky comes in because right. depending upon which pseudo tribe one is a member of, you get mm -hmm. certain rights which others do not. And of course, the enemy of all is thought to be sort of the uh, the heterosexual white male, mm -hmm. uh, particularly mm -hmm. uh, if he's of Anglo-Saxon background. But certainly, he certainly does not have to be in order to uh, to compel the hatred of the woke folks. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, just wrapping up the article, summarizing, uh, Hansen wrote that uh, leading airlines uh, they have set up. Uh, quotas uh, which pertain to race and gender uh and it's uh it's it's really uh it's really interesting uh these pertain to the training of, of pilots obviously uh the programs do they pertain to the training of pilots and uh, united airlines established uh, a quota system to uh make it certain that half of trainees uh they they have to be women or minorities and uh from 2013 onward, the Federal Aviation Administration has been, uh, it has uh, lapsed it's, uh, that pertain to people who want to become air traffic controllers. So this is meant to be uh, essentially a racial and gender quota structure. Uh, and the results of this, you know, so they speak for themselves. I don't even need to go back into that. Uh, but it's its really, I mean, it's, it, it, I'm just speaking out for me. It's really... Uh, sad it's it, it's really sad uh, to say the least but it's you know it's it's uh it's a sign of the times uh and, but it's a sign of the times it's going to have grave consequences for all of us as we deal with a uh a society with institutions both in the public and private sectors uh which no longer no longer function uh it, it really is now i'll quote from hansen in some our government is playing with our lives as it prefers diversity, equity, and inclusion over ensuring the best qualified employees are hired on the basis of racially and gender-blind competitive tests and experience. And that is that. The article goes on another uh, sentence, but I don't need to read that. But uh, that that is, the, I think, the, this last, the, the second to last sentence of his, which I read, sums up the whole thing very well. Uh, and it's it's frightening. I would also add that the, the, the private sector, in addition to the government, is playing with lives and in much the same way which the government is. Uh, and it's what Hansen described. So it's, it's really a... Uh, terrible situation that has profoundly negative consequences for the future. And these were the consequences I'm talking about leave no stone unturned. It's not just like a certain segments is going to be impacted and everyone else can ignore it. Uh, it's really, really frightening stuff. And you think that the people who are uh, engineering this change would understand that what they're creating is a system which will ultimately harm them and those whom they care about, but they really don't seem to care or they don't care enough to uh, suggest uh, that this uh, that the uh, the the wokeification be halted in favor of the meritocracy, uh, really perplexing, uh, depressing stuff. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm in favor of meritocracy in some areas. Like, if you want to go to you take medical boards, there better be meritocracy. Um, or if, if you want to be a an airline an air controller, but there has to be meritocracy. Um, the question is. Um, do I think that, you know, we can, we can set up a system of exams for, for every job that exists? Um, uh, or, or must we be bound by test scores and taking everybody into a university? And my answer is no. Um, uh, for a long time, Harvard um, had a, uh, a custom of letting some worthy black students come. This goes all the way back to the beginning of the 20th century. That's fine. Um, 
I, I really, you know, if you want to lift up some groups, give them some help, uh, and you decide to do this in a private institution, I have no objection. Um, there are two things that I object to uh, in this case. One is is the victim hierarchy. Um, that there are certain groups that are more meritorious than others because the administrative state um, and the media decide to assign victim status to them. And therefore, they have to be treated differently from other people by virtue of this totally artificial hierarchy uh, created by the, uh, the master class in our society. Um, I totally reject this. I think this, this is awful. Um, and it just goes on and on. More and more people try to become victims so they can get special advantage. Uh, this this thing definitely has to go. The other thing is, I do not like the state, the administrative state, determining whom institutions can take, um, who are to be given jobs. Um, I think there have to be, particularly uh, in certain types of profession, there have to be standards, you know. And I'm not denying that. And I think they should be rigorously enforced. Like anyone who wants to become a surgeon has to pass a certain test. Um, does this, however, mean that in order for me to hire somebody to work in my restaurant, um, I have to I have to be totally objective and let everybody come in? Uh, let's say uh, it's a restaurant where people speak Italian or Turkish or something like that. I, I should have, any, you know, I, I should be able to hire whomever I want that who fits in with my customers. And I think this is the argument that Richard Epstein made for many jobs that people were much more concerned with creating a compatible workforce than having people pass examinations, worry about who passes examinations. I think there, there should be many factors that go into giving people jobs. You know, out, outside of certain professions in which you cannot afford to let incompetence come in. But uh, now we have the government, you know, setting up quotas for just about every job uh, in terms of its victim hierarchy. And this, this, uh, this I certainly object to. Uh, although I think the, the notion that everything, you know, everything has to be part of a, a test uh, uh, a test assigning meritocracy is largely a dream. It has never existed and never will. I think that when it comes to very serious jobs, uh, it's good to have a meritocracy. Uh, yes, you have standards. To, yeah, you have yeah. standards to maintain. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, if there's like a neighborhood diner and the uh, owner has kids and he hires his kids to work there. Mm -hmm. That's fine. That's obviously not a meritocracy. Uh, and a lot of small businesses, uh, people tend to hire those who they know because these people, the employees in turn, know the community mm -hmm. well. Uh, and uh, the, the community can be better served, obviously, that benefits the business. Uh, you couldn't really call that a meritocracy. It's more like a series of, of social relationships that right. boil over into the business world. But it works out fine. Uh, I, I think that when it comes to you know more serious stuff like executive roles or something like engineering or obviously uh, right. medical sciences, certainly. <laughs> Yes, then uh, then uh, meritocracy mm -hmm. is, is absolutely vital. But uh, yeah, it, it's interesting talking about about meritocracy and other forms of consideration and how they relate to uh, people getting ahead in life or perhaps not getting ahead in life. But it's really uh, interesting to see this stuff going on. Uh, the mm -hmm. Hanson mentioned once again his article is titled "Pushing Woke Standards Over Meritocracy Is Going to Get Us Killed." published on the 20th of February, uh, 2023, needless to mention, in the New York Post. Uh, I, think that, I, I think that 
this will cause eventually some people to die needlessly. Uh, I think it's also going to cause immense problems in the business world uh, where things just don't get done, uh, which would have been done because there are incompetent people who are hired because of their, uh, because of some uh, demographic box they checked, I'll put it that way, as opposed to their ability to do the job they've been entrusted with. Uh, that really is frightening. Uh, Paul, how do you think this will impact the business world going forward? I, I think it will impact the business, not immediately. I mean, the uh, you know most people working, let's say, in the corporate ladder are white white males, uh, but that will change eventually. And the ones who are now being frozen out at universities and jobs are, seem to be largely Asians, uh, not so much whites. Yes. But you know, some whites are, are are going to be affected as well. But whatever bad thing happens, it will be Trump's fault, right? I mean, Trump <laughs> Trump causes everything, like. Uh, <laughs> You know what, what happened in East Palestine. I'm like listening to NBC. I mean, it's it's Trump uh, uh, alter the standards for breaks. Although what happened had nothing to do with breaks. It was the ball bearings or something which got overheated. Um, and uh, his position on you know the application of break standards was also accepted by Biden. He hadn't, he didn't change it. But anything bad that happens will be blamed on Trump. Uh, just the way the Democratic Party blamed um, uh, everything that went wrong on Herbert Hoover when I was a kid because of the Depression. <clears throat> and afterwards, they got Richard Nixon, right, for a long time. Democrats are good at this. The media cooperate, you know, mm -hmm. and it just goes on and on and on. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, th I think they'll probably be able to, to blame things on, uh, on Trump for a while. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm not very optimistic about... Uh, about are are moving in a different direction, um, until until we can win elections decisively, you know, and and change the people who are in the government, uh, you know, if, if we have like a government of Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene and these people, I'd be much more optimistic. But we're not likely to get that. Uh, I think we're much more likely to get you know governments full of people like Diane Feinstein and Adam Schiff, and. Uh, uh, Ocasio Cortez. I mean, this is what we this and, and Fetterman, of course. This is what we what we can expect um, unless we can turn elections around. And even then, I'm not sure we have we have to elect people who are willing to. Uh, I mentioned these names before because Gates or Jordan or Marjorie Taylor Greene. These are people willing to make changes. Um, you can't have more Mitch McConnells or people of that type who do, who you know, basically want to cooperate and find common ground. It seems like uh, over the last few years, uh, Orientals have become, even though they're still considered to be a minority, but on the left, uh, there's been a, a, a noticeable decline in interest in the litany of abuses, uh, which mm -hmm. are heaped upon the Oriental community, uh, particularly when it comes to employment-related discrimination uh, and other things. Uh, why do you suppose that uh, Orientals have been getting the short end of the stick here in such an egregious fashion? Well, no, the, the, the Orientals, in fact, are moving to the right politically. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're one group that has. Like people are always waiting for Jews to move to the right. You get 30% and the 70% are crazy. But with the Orientals, they really, or the Asians, they really do move to the right. And the same thing is beginning to happen among Hispanics, although less dramatically. But the Asian vote has moved right. The, the Muslim vote has moved left mm -hmm. because the Republican Party is so pro-Israel. Mm -hmm. 
um, uh, in order to attract, I think, more Jewish votes. And of course, you have Christian Zionists in the Republican Party. So the, the, the Muslims have moved into the Democratic Party and someone like Ilan Omar is, you know, I think speaks very well for many, for many of them. Um, the, uh, uh, at, at, least, at least in Minnesota with the people she represents, well, I think mostly Somalis, but the, um, the, 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 the Asians, in fact, have moved to the right. And, and they're the ones like bringing all of these suits right now for, uh, against discrimination. So you know they're 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 now moving into the into the forefront of the struggle against uh, against quotas. One interesting thing is also seeing the representation of Indians, subcontinental mm -hmm. Indians, uh, in the Republican Party mm -hmm. that has gone up considerably in recent years. Yes, it now, as a matter of fact, two of the uh, contenders for the Republican presidential nomination, aside from Trump, Nikki Haley and Vivek Warmaswarmy, uh, they are uh, subcontinental Indians, although mm -hmm. they are of different ethnicity. Uh, Haley is Sikh. And uh, Ramaswamy is, uh, I believe, uh, of a Hindu background. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Paul, what do you think about India, subcontinental Indian voters playing a larger role? Yeah, I think that's interesting because the Indian vote was about 99 percent Democratic until recently. Mm -hmm. But I, th I think it's beginning to change about, you know, 15, 20 percent or something have gone to the Republicans. And uh, we also shouldn't forget, what's her name? The the, the one from California, Dharmi. Uh, Harmi Dillon. Harmy, I can't her game right. She's always on TV, and uh, she she made a real uh, earnest effort to become the uh, the uh, uh, the head of the Republican National Committee. Unfortunately, she failed and lost to a loser. <laughs> um, but you, you do see more and more Indians um, distinguishing themselves as Republicans. Although I think probably most of the Indian vote is still Democratic, mm -hmm. and there there. Um, are several very leftist uh, Democrats who are of Indian uh, descent, one from California. Typically what happens is that uh, people who are on the left in India, they come to the U.S. and they're on the left in the U.S. as well. India has mm -hmm. a very vibrant uh, left-leaning social justice-oriented scene, particularly among people who are of a lower caste. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's the way it goes. And so they bring that sort of, uh, you know, left-leaning to left-wing politics with them to America, even though the leftism in the Indian-American community is rooted in uh, a reaction to the traditional caste system of Hindu India. No, I think you're right. Um, but I, I notice among Indian-Americans of, of my acquaintance, uh, there's a great deal of enthusiasm for Modi, who is oh, yes. the uh, conservative head of the Indian government. He's, he's basically worshipped by most Indians that I meet. And he was a friend of Trump's, and he's definitely on the right, on the populist right, or he's a Hindu national party mm -hmm. uh, in, in India. Um, so, uh, you know, they, they, they are willing to be on the right. Some of them are on the right on, in India, but on the left you know, in this Gentile country, <laughs> Western country. Uh -huh. But I, I think it's being to change. And most of the of the uh, Indian political personalities that I'm seeing are Republicans these days. Yes, definitely. And yeah. I, I think that's going to continue. What's Some people might say then, well, you know, if there is this move, and there has been a massive move among Orientals, uh, and a move among uh, subcontinental Indians, and a move among uh, Hispanics, toward the GOP. How can it be then that the Republicans are doing so terribly? And it's for a few reasons. Number one, the Democrats, uh, the black vote is not a, a growing segment of the electorate nationally, but it's a bedrock that the Democrats mm -hmm. absolutely need. 
uh, and they have maintained it, you know, come hell or high water. Then there is the issue with a lot of uh, white uh, people, uh, particularly women, who are voting uh, Democratic uh, to, uh, to an extent not seen in previous generations. Mm -hmm. So, And these are very high propensity voters. They just mm -hmm. say they turn out all the time. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Democrats have these people particularly uh, positioned in suburban and urban areas where a lot of congressional districts and state legislative districts intersect. And this works to their benefit, no question about it. Also, it's easier to get out the vote with these people since they live in these highly condensed regions, whereas Republicans mm -hmm. live more sparsely. No, I think you're, I think you're right. I, I think it's the loss of these uh, particularly unmarried women and a lot of soccer moms as well. Um, I, I was on a you know on, on a podcast with with Amy Wax and I discovered that her view of women voters was even more critical than mine. Um, <laughs> wow. Although I, I I think both of us made the same exception. Conservative women are usually at least as intelligent as conservative men. It's the ones on the left who are all pinheads, and I I can honestly say that having spent my life you know speaking to left wing women. They are usually uh, very emotional. Uh, Amy said that, you know, they have the political views of a nursery uh, and, you know, they, uh, gee, this is nice and this isn't nice and we're mean to so-and-so. Uh, it's, it's, it's all very emotional. Or, or, or women have to have abortions in back alleys because you're saying we, we, we are not going to allow you to have a, a late-term abortion. That's like having a, an abortion in a back alley. Uh, and they've pretty much gone nuts on that. You can't, you can't even have, you know, a discussion that would limit abortion. We'll give you kind of abortion for the first one. No, you know, it, and if you look at what happened in Pennsylvania, uh, you had um, uh, women running to vote for this, um, this brain damage radical, who unfortunately won against the Republican who hardly ever hardly said anything about abortion. But it, this became, you know, the most important issue. The other thing, of course, is to is to open up prisons and let all these poor people out, you know, who, just because they committed murder. But then, you know, they're minorities, so you have no right to be judgmental with them. But uh, uh, the um, uh, the loss of that voters. The, the, the other thing which I think the Republicans have to get over is begging black people to vote for them. The blacks hate the Republican Party. They, the reason they're Democrats is they hate the Republicans as a white Christian party, which, you know, had slavery or something like that. I mean, it's all nonsense, but you're not going to change their minds. And at a certain point, you stop, you know, kicking around Robert E. Lee's statue and you say, uh, these people are not, and they don't care about Robert E. Lee's blacks. They just hate you as Republicans. You don't go after the, don't waste another minute going after their votes. Um, what you do is you try to get more votes from Indians, from Hispanics, from uh, from other Asians uh, who are going to vote for you. There are lots of groups out there that are going to vote for you. Blacks are not one of them. And uh, I, th I think a lot of this is sort of virtue signaling or guilt about slavery, even by people, you know, whose ancestors never owned slaves. But the Republicans can't get over this. And I think this has really hurt their chances of, of winning because I think they should take this money and energy and put it into winning groups that are more likely to vote for them. Uh, the Republicans need to do a lot of things, but mildly. One of them is not focused on abortion uh, so much, if at all, because they basically handed this issue to the Democrats on a silver platter. It would be nice if the G GOP had a consensus that said the first three months, okay, 
But uh, many in the Republican Party want total bans in South Carolina. Some people are proposing the death penalty for getting an abortion. Uh, it, that, there, that was not the case in Pennsylvania. No, it was not. Not at all. But I'm just talking about across the country. Yeah, and then yeah. the media takes what some moron says in right. one state and then mm -hmm. makes it a national narrative. Then Lindsey Graham proposing the national 15-week limitation after saying that this should go back to the states after Roe right. Wade was axed. Uh, it's really it's really bizarre. The GOP, this abortion issue is not going away for the GOP, and they don't handle it well at all. Yeah, but, but many of them aren't even, you know, aren't discussing this at all. Most of them don't discuss it. It's basically... The uh, the media pouncing on a statement about banning abortion that's made by some Republican somewhere and then attributing that view to every Republican who's running. They do this all the time. Absolutely. Yes, right. And there's no there's the problem is the media. It's not the Republican Party. Um, I'm very critical of abortion, but I generally agree with you. You're not going to win as long as these uh, pinhead women are voting, you know, again, excited about anything you, you say on the subject. One of my problems is what, you know, okay, we'll give them any, kind of any abortion you want. Then the question is, what about you? Are you allowed to criticize gay marriage? What about gender reassignment? Because they buy into the whole nine yards. So, it, you know, the discussion is not going to stop with abortion rights. Um, and, uh, you know, in our state, I mean, to the extent that Fetterman was even coherent, he went around talking about, you know, how we discriminated gender reassignment. His wife was talking. These these become issues for the same women, you know, the women, the, the nursery voters. And uh, the thing is, you really cannot satisfy them because of the, the way they think or don't think uh, about this. You know, you, you, you would think that they would vote for candidates um, who are going to have maintain safe streets, have police protection for their kids or something like But they don't. This is not the way, of course, as, as people have told me, that many of them live in suburbs where they don't feel threatened anyhow. And they just don't, they still go into the inner city of Philadelphia if they don't want to get mugged. But, that, but then they support the district attorney who allows the mugging to take place. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a di difficult uh, situation to address. And, uh, you know, I think even if you give in on the abortion issue, there's going to be other ones, the same, the same voting block is going to... Uh, you know, insist that you give you entirely make because the Democrats will outdo you, you know, in taking more liberal social positions and just about any issue. <clears throat> it obviously the GOP should not try to outlet the left, but it also should not uh, walk into minefields and expect uh, not to have its legs blown to smithereens. There is a there is a balance here. Uh, now, uh, getting back to the economy of where we unfortunately uh, depart tonight, uh, Paul. What do you think will become of the economy, uh, particularly with regard to the triumph of wokeism over uh, meritocracy? Do you think that it will result in more inflation? Do you think it will result in worse supply chain issues, maybe something else? What do you think is going to happen? It'll be disastrous. It'll be disastrous, but it was disastrous at the time of the midterm elections, right? And yet the Democrats swept to victory. The left wing of the Democratic Party, it wasn't, you know, the moderates. This, it, was, it was nuts who won in, these, in some of these elections. Or people who were obviously incompetent, like uh, the, la the lady who won, Hobbs, the one who won in, uh, in Arizona. There, there are many cases like that. Well, um, uh, and the economy doesn't seem to matter. In Arizona, the people who won um, were taking a lax position on all the illegals coming across the border with drugs and this, it was the Republicans who were, you know, pushing back on that. They lost the election, either fairly or unfairly, or they may have been rigging in this, or it doesn't make any difference. 
uh, but the Republicans will probably continue to lose in races like that. And, uh, you know, you'll have more and more inflation. We'll have, we'll have more Green New Deals, which are usually disastrous. They do nothing for the environment. Uh, they wreck the economy. They kill whales in New Jersey. It makes no difference. You're going to get more and more of this uh, because of, of the electorate that you're dealing with and because the, 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 the Democratic media control reality and the educational system for most people. And the economy will get worse and worse, but it'll be, it'll be Trump's fault or white nationalism or the MAGA Republicans or some junk like that. And they'll get away with it because, you know, the, the television stations and the social media will agree with them. Um, but I, 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 as long as the Democrats are running the economy, things are going to get worse. Now, this doesn't mean that any Republican is going to improve it. You, you need Republicans who are committed to improving it and to doing something. Um, you, you listen to somebody like Yellen, the one in uh, the uh, the one who's running our economy for us right now, and she sounds like an absolute idiot. And yet she was a professor of economics at Harvard, hired at least partly uh, by a socialist economic department because she was a socialist. Um, but you know, I listen to this lady, and uh, you know, I I, I have to I, I basically shiver or tremble in disbelief. She she is the one you know whom we turn to. And of course, she told us the uh, uh, the inflation would be of a very short duration. In fact, it wouldn't even be inflation. We wouldn't even notice it. It would just exist for a week or two weeks, and then it would go away or something like that. And she's very much committed to the green uh, green uh, agenda, energy agenda, all this other stuff. And this is all going to help our economy, uh, as she and Joe Biden insist. Um, I th- there was a slight upswing for a while. Now now the inflation is. Uh, become serious again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. I, 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 inflation should be something that makes a big, big, uh, it should be something that makes big waves come election time. But uh, as we saw in 2022, that's not necessarily the case. It's mm-hmm. very much unlike 1980. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 1980 is like more normal. Yeah. <laughs> you expect to happen, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, people are we're predicting this, you know, the, the economy is bad, crime, all these other things. Uh, Richard Nixon won on some of those issues. Some of these other people, uh, certainly uh, uh, Reagan won. They got reelected in this. But those were the issues that people emphasized. And, I, you know, this, as much as crime may rate as a problem, uh, it sound, does, doesn't seem to have had much an effect on the last election, did it? No, not at all. I think that a lot of people today, even if they know that their quality of life is injured by their politics, they will pursue those politics anyway, Mm -hmm. because we live in an age of neo-tribalism, that might be a good way of putting it, or Mm quasi-tribalism, where the other tribe is hated uh, so much that people will vote in a way which they know is not going to benefit them if they think that the other tribe will be hurt more because they uh, are so loathing of that uh, Mm -hmm. outgroup and they uh, are so scared of it that they are willing basically to a certain extent hurt themselves to hurt this out group to a greater degree. No, I, th- I think you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, there, there is a view of the enemy. The enemy is very important. You know, it determines your politics. Um, Carl Schmidt's friend enemy distinction. Yeah. You know, how, how disturbed it was by the anti-defamation league, which was insisting that the, that Jews in America all over the country would threaten because it was a hate day and the only place from which I got any information was the Anti-Defamation League. 
And then I discovered there was some kind of hate group or anti-Semitic white nationalists somewhere in eastern Iowa, you know, and they declared this to be a nothing happened. But they but uh, the synagogues locally were hiring police security guards. And this now what what exactly was the purpose of this? Uh, obviously, these people never opened their mouth to say boo, the Anti-Defamation League, when you had riots in 2020, policemen mm-hmm. were being shot, cities were being burned, perfectly nice, it's a summer of love. And this, this on the other hand, is very, well, the reason it's important to them is, is the Anti-Defamation League, which has become pretty much a child of George Soros, uh, uh, Jonathan Greenblatt, who was the head of it, worked for Soros for years, uh, their enemies um, are basically white Christians. And the good people are LGBT, uh, Black Lives Matter, um, except on one question, Israel. They do have to support Israel to maintain their credibility as a Jewish organization. <clears throat> um, what they were doing, in fact, was sort of driving a wedge between American Jews and American Christians, white Christians, by doing this. So you were afraid your next door Christian neighbor was going to come after you or some Christian down down the block. Um, this is exactly what they were doing. They, you know, the... Uh, the comment of, I don't know, uh, Tucker Carlson, that the, that the left simply sows hatred and division. This was an example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and that's what bothered me about it. The fact that people bought into this nonsense. The, the Anti-Defamation League often does not say much about uh, incidences of, uh, of violent anti-Semitism because obviously most often these violent anti-Semitic attacks come about by uh, members of, shall we say, preferred victim groups within the hierarchy. Uh, Most violent anti-Semitism in America comes from a group in particular, which I don't need to to name (laughs) right, but it is definitely- According to the Anti-Defamation League statistics (laughs) 10 years ago. (laughs) Exactly, but uh, the Anti-Defamation League, above all else, I don't even think it's, it obviously still has a certain Jewish focus, but I don't think it's focused on Jewish welfare. I think it's a group that exists for its own benefit. Uh, it's a trendy lefty organization that tries to spin things in its own way, in a way which it believes is beneficial for its own interest to make money, to get clout, so on and so forth. And it's very sad to see this uh, group go down this road, but it's not the only one. Many groups have become captured by wokeness, yeah. including the ACLU. Uh, it, it's really, uh, it's really a, uh, a pathetic state of affairs, and uh, it's a sign of the times. Yeah, the Southern Poverty Law Center is sort of the paradigm of all the others. <laughs> I think the SPLC was always like that, though. Unlike yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. It was bad. <laughs> but well, the Defamation League was always on the left, but, you know, since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was sort of like, you know, Stevenson Democrat in yeah. the 1950s. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Now it is. Uh, quite something else. Well, Paul, mm-hmm. this has been yet another fascinating discussion. I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have for its depressing, even though it's had its depressing elements, it's been great. Mm-hmm. No, it was it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, uh, just, uh, despite your painful recovery, you were very articulate. <laughs> Thank you. I tried to be. I was a bit off my normal uh, game, so to speak. But mm-hmm. I think by the next uh, discussion we have, I will be much better. I will just say that I am very thankful that there was no woke takeover of the hospital I was at. It was run a totally competent. It was run with total competency and utter professionalism. Uh, and uh, I do have my life uh, as as proof. I continue to live my life as proof of that. And I'm very thankful. So cheers to everyone who tuned in. Thank you very much for being here tonight. Hope you had as much fun as Paul and I did. Stay safe. Be well. And thanks again. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.